It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 151, King Jehoshaphat and the Power of Worship After King Jehoshaphat's failure at Ramoth-Gilead, he finds great success at home in revival matters, but outside of Judah there was great distress. Northern Israel was crashing internally, and under the judgment of God from the outside, Moab had completely revolted, and not only revolted, Moab was in revenge mode after years and years of enslavement. Not just this, Mesha, the new king of Moab, aroused all the nations east of the Jordan to rebel as well. Not only is northern Israel a target, but Judah as well. Multiple nations have seen the weakness of Jehoshaphat, and they want the treasuries of Jerusalem. Disaster was invited when Jehoshaphat failed miserably at Ramoth-Gilead. Everyone knows of the wealth of Jerusalem and the great treasures in its storehouses. Combining anger and greed and desire for years of revenge, a huge army prepares to invade northern Israel and Judah. In this episode, we see what happens when Jehoshaphat's life is in danger and country and people, and the revival that he's fueled his whole life is in jeopardy. His response is the thing of legend. Second Chronicles 20. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and some of the Muonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. It's like Jehoshaphat finally got it. He's seen the death of Ahab and his son, and he's not going to go about things the way he used to. Gotta love his response to conflict. Assemble the people in fasting and prayer and seek the Lord. What a man of God. The entirety of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek God. It's such a picture of national intercession by the king himself. The prophetic word that was spoken over Jehoshaphat was that the wrath of God was upon him because of his alliance with Ahab. Okay, so the wrath of God was upon him. This means God was going to judge he and his nation. Jehoshaphat has to carry the shame of this previous failure, and he has to know that this army was God's instrument of his wrath. But he knows of the mercy and grace of God is better and more favored over judgment. God always values relationship and mercy and grace over judgment. It's his character, and no matter the faults of Jehoshaphat, he's got this one down. Check out what Jehoshaphat does. 
In holy trepidation and fear, he called upon God in the midst of the people. Second Chronicles 25 Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to them forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have lived in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and their children and the little ones, stood there before the Lord. What an awesome intercession. He literally calls God on the mat and repeats Solomon's words at the exact location. Did you not say if we all assemble and call upon your name in our distress that you would hear from heaven and save us? What gigantic faith. He hardly petitioned. I mean, he's begging God for help, but he just quotes the promise of God spoken through Solomon. You said you would hear from heaven and save us. You said, and I believe, and you will do it. It's the essence of our God. God doesn't lie. He keeps his word and his promises. Do we have this kind of faith? If so, find the promise that applies to you and call upon a faithful God. It's a reason why you can buy the promise Bibles or books of promises of God, because he is faithful and his word has power. And if you don't have this kind of faith, read the promises again and again, because the word of God is power, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now the Lord's response, Second Chronicles twenty fourteen. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehazel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Methaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, and he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Zerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid." Do not be discouraged. Go out to face him tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Korathites and Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very, very loud voice. What an assembly. I mean, check it out. 
Who rises up out of the power encounter as everyone is on the floor facing down, worshiping God? It's the sons of Korah. Janelle would be impressed. It's these guys again. The original Korah who rebelled against Moses, whose sons were spared judgment, whose future generation would become Israel's famous worshipers. The king led them in assembly in prayer and fasting and prayed God's promises in faith. And the Lord answered through a prophet and power fell from heaven. They all fell face down to the ground and out of the heavy peace upon the people. The first to rise was the worshipers who rose up with the roar in very loud voice, indicating how deliverance would come. Deliverance would come through worship. Second Chronicles 20, 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And as he went out the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Yep, that's his strategy. Praise. Echoing Psalm 136, Jehoshaphat leads the people in worship. We've got to consider the millions worshiping God at this point. This is revival. The unity of a nation seeking and worshiping God. Jehoshaphat sends ahead of the army the worshipers. Yep, that's what he does. He sends ahead the worshipers as the vanguard of his army. Exposed to harm and danger and potential death, the worshipers led the army. Defenseless, powerless in the flesh, worship invited the spiritual armies of God to intervene. Echoing Gideon's conflict, the enemies of God turned on each other violently and killed each other to the man. It's really nuts what happens. Second Chronicles twenty twenty two. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went off to carry off their plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. So what just happened was remarkable. And it goes up as one of the most foolish military strategies of all time. Up there with Jonathan's battle and even Jericho took incredible faith demonstrated by a leader and an army to do something that in the natural made no sense. It's totally remarkable and just wonderful the faithfulness of Jehoshaphat. Kind of sad he's going to die at around 60 years old because he truly was a light in this dark time. But we can't miss what he represents in this age, specifically in this battle. Jehoshaphat's name literally means Jehovah has judged. And this is part of what he will represent going forward. Check out Joel 3.2. 
I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. Did you catch it? Nations will be judged in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat has a place in eschatology. In this place, possibly where the battle was conducted, the nations will be judged. This is probably too much of a side rail, so we won't go down the eschatology road on this one. But clearly Jehoshaphat has gained his notoriety here forever. Back to Jerusalem. Like Moses and Miriam after the Red Sea, there was a victory party, and millions participated. Second Chronicles 20:27. 20, then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had defeated the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. So after this glorious battle, and this time the treasures of the nations were taken on the battlefield from an enemy that transported them into their country and killed themselves in Judah. After the battlefield cleanup, the treasuries of the nations lay scattered for Judah like a prize to collect. Jehoshaphat is going to have a follow-up military campaign after this, and he's going to die soon after. Let's give a bit of character analysis of him at this point before we arrive at our conclusion. After around a 25-year reign, Jehoshaphat's going to die. Sad to see him go, he dies at around 60 years old. He has three great revivals and an awesome military struggle to his credit. But all of his faults were caused by allying himself with his spiritual enemies, only to be duped by his northern neighbor. My analysis is he was a man of faith. He truly displayed the right action in times of rebuke. He was a light in a time of great turmoil and darkness, and his story should be and will be told for the eons. He is one of Judah's great kings, to be for sure. Make probably a top five or a top ten list of kings of, of Israel ever. Because he was a man of God, his heart was devoted to God. But his faults are lacking wisdom as to the power and danger of the snake's poisonous reach. Innocent to a fault, Jehoshaphat was led to slaughter by his enemies, but in every case the Lord saved him. He's an example of the always innocent, thinking, mercy, lover of God. Always thinking the best of people, a wonderful lover of God and people, but also foolish as to the wiles of the enemy. Jesus said we should be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jehoshaphat was an innocent and wise as a dove. He never thought like or understood his enemy. If you don't, you can be duped and tricked by him, like Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's going to die and all of Judah is going to mourn for him, except one horrible woman who's going to do everything she can to destroy his legacy. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, we'll soon see the death of Jehoshaphat, the third of our major characters in this generation to die, followed by Ben-Hadad, Shalmaneser III, and Jezebel, the old made-up decorated lady at this point. 
the worst and last to die in this generation. Josephat leaves an incredible, lasting legacy. In his account, worship was key to his victory over his enemies. Worship in the midst of defeat and chaos is actually quite biblical. It was Paul and Silas in prison who worshipped God in Acts 16.22, bringing heaven down to earth and setting the captives free. Doing some research on this episode, I was searching Google for the power of worship, because this is how God defeated his enemies in this scene. Have you ever raised your hands in worship? Ever danced before the Lord? If you haven't, it's okay. So it's actually quite embarrassing in the flesh to do this. And it's quite normal to feel this way if you haven't. It's embarrassing in the flesh, but in the spirit, it's quite freeing. When we submit to God and worship, there's a spiritual breakthrough that occurs, and it releases God's authority over us. It breaks us from normality and invites God to operate around us. Have you ever shouted out in a worship song? It's embarrassing in the flesh, but in the spirit, quite freeing. Try it sometime. See what happens. Doing research, I came upon a wonderful sermon by John Piper. The article was so good. I'm going to end with John Piper's blog or sermon notes titled Ambushing Satan with Song from the website DesiringGod.org. Here's how he ends his message. If you have read Dick Eastman's book, The Hour That Changes the World, you may recall Mary Slosser, who worked in China for many years. I sing the doxology and dismiss the devil. And Amy Carmichael said, I truly believe that Satan cannot endure it and so slips out of the room more or less when there's a true song. Martin Luther gives his testimony like this. Music is a fair and lovely gift of God, which is often wakened and moved me to the joy of preaching. Music drives away the devil and makes people happy. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. I would not change what little I know of music for something great. Experience proves that next to the word of God, only music deserves to be extolled. As the mistress and governess of the feelings of the human heart, we know that the devil's music is distasteful and sufferable. My heart bubbles up and overflows in response to music, which has so often refreshed me and delivered me from dire plagues. William Law in his spiritual classic, A Serious Call to a Devoted and Holy Life, has a whole chapter to encourage us to chant the Psalms in our private devotions. He says, Just as singing is a natural effect of joy in the heart, so it has also a natural power of rendering the heart joyful. There is nothing that so clears away for our prayers, nothing that so disperses dullness of our heart, nothing that so purifies the soul from poor and little passions, nothing that so opens heaven or carries your heart so near it as these songs of praise. They create a sense and delight in God that they awaken holy desires. They teach you how to ask, and they prevail with God to give. They kindle a holy flame. They turn your heart into an altar, your prayers into incense, and carry them as a sweet-smelling Savior to the throne of grace. It is no wonder that Satan hates the songs of God's people. He does his best to keep a church from being a singing church, and he does his best to keep you from being a singing person. 
I don't think these testimonies from Mary Slosser and Amy Carmichael and Martin Luther and William Law are pious platitudes. I think they are strictly and terribly true. Satan cannot endure the spiritual songs of the saints. You can fight him with song. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.